This podcast is brought to you by Midwinter, the cyberpunk fantasy graphic novel series from Revision Studios. Eisner Award-winning legend comics and coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and listeners like you. Visit patreon.com slash twoheadednerd today to find out how you can become a supporter. Hi, this is Mitch Gerrits, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd Podcast. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to our anniversary episode 480. It's a big, sexy collector's episode of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. My name is Matt Ball. You know what? I'm just, I'm not even going to argue with you at this point. And I'm the internet's Joe Patrick. Every week, Matt and I dig deep into the world of comics, comic book news, and we put on our dishwashing gloves to reach into the drain that is the internet to pull out all the nasty, hairy rumors. In this episode, Joe and I review Vampironica and Betrothed, number one. Neither of those are easy to say. They are tongue twisters. Then we'll review eight more books during a ludicrous speed round, and after that, we're going to visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, where our buddies Warwick Davis and Jennifer Aniston are waiting to talk about next week's comics, and finally, the THN historian Jason Sachs is back for another edition of Who the Hell is This Guy?, but before we reveal which one of us will die in episode 180, we better talk about this week's Nerd News. Which episode? 480. Is it 480? You sure did. Good. Whisper. Nerd News. There you go. Joe Patrick, let's go over to the Warner Brothers School of Bad Ideas desk. What do you got for me? Bad ideas? Yes. I don't know about that. Bad ideas. I'm saying. Director Ava DuVernay will helm a film based on DC's New Gods. Oh, boy. <laughs> a concept so complex that even a lot of comic book fans don't quite get it. Oh, boy. This is according to Variety. Look, I love the New Gods, okay? I'm I love all the New in. Gods, too. I'm not, I'm, I love them. That's not my issue. We'll talk about according it in a and according to Variety, this film will take place in the extended DC cinematic universe, whatever they're calling it. Created by Jack Kirby, of course, the New Gods are the residents of New Genesis and Apocalypse, warring planets full of powerful alien beings, uh, Steppenwolf and the Mother Box, and a lot of uh, New Gods concepts were in the Justice League movie last year. Yes. Those all came from Jack Kirby's uh, Fourth World Mythology. Yes. DuVernay previously produced movies like Selma. She directed A Wrinkle in Time, which is in theaters now. Which apparently Everyone doesn't make any sense. Everybody's mad about it. <laughs> I don't know. Like, half the people are mad about it, and half the people are so enthusiastic about it that I can't tell which is more accurate. Yeah, I know. Uh, and everybody is shouting about Oprah to play Granny Goodness. I'm like, shut up. Yeah, that's just stupid. There are way better choices to play Granny Goodness. Ed, <laughs> Ed Asner. Ed Asner is Ed still alive. Freaking Asner is Granny Goodness. Okay, enough of this. Here's my problem with this. You cannot bring the new gods to the big screen and make it make sense and appeal to the masses without dumbing it way down. And I mean so far down that it would not be the new gods anymore. I don't know. You can't I mean, do it. They're cosmic space gods. It's not like, dude. You the, even as comic book nerds, the new gods are divisive even amongst comic book nerds because that is some of Jack Kirby's weirdest 
shit he ever put out. I yeah. love it. I'm with you. I love it. But, but you know what? Man. People that people that don't like the new guards are dumb. I agree. Damn, I said it. Did you like Steppenwolf in the Justice League movie? Because I didn't. He looked terrible. Absolutely well, yeah, terrible. terrible. He yeah. didn't make any sense. Like, they haven't established any of this crap. It, this will not work. It cannot work. You think A Wrinkle of Time had an ending that didn't make sense? Boy, wait till you meet the new gods. <laughs> There's just things that shouldn't I, go to the big screen, and this is one of them. Well, what what would you suggest then? If they if DC wanted to do some sort of adaptation of the New Gods, what would you suggest? I would suggest don't I mean, do a New Gods cartoon, movie. Matt, that's for children. Yes, they did it on the cartoon and they dumped it down and it worked fine and it still kind of looked like what we want. And it was a cartoon, so we can accept that stuff. We go, yeah, all right, I'm with it. People right now are bitching about the way Thanos looks and talks in the upcoming Avengers Infinity War. And Thanos <laughs> is just a big, scary alien that whoops ass. Got it. Okay. I can accept that. Wait till they meet Granny Goodness. Oh well, I mean, my! Thanos is a ripoff of of Darkseid. So I know, but oh we're my, already half there. Oh my God! <laughs> like, this this is such bizarre material. How do you sell this? How do you sell this to the world? Without sexing them up, changing some names and shit. There's no way there's a character named Granny Goodness. I don't know, man. There. Like they're making an I Kill Giants movie. They made a movie about. Uh, but even I Kill Giants has a premise that works. It's a little girl, right? She's a fantasy world she goes into, and stuff happens in the fantasy world. I get that. But my point s- is, like, Hollywood makes weird movies. I'm not saying they don't. They don't make super weird blockbusters. And this is a movie that's going to have to cost at least 200 that's million. A fair point. <laughs> yeah, this is a movie that's going to cost 200 million dollars to make at least. And you're telling you're going to put all these bizarre Jack Kirby creations with look, I love them. I'm not knocking the new gods, but some really dumb names, some really dumb looks. Mr. Know? Miracle. Yeah, look, I mean, come on. How are you going to sell like, this? Somebody somebody posted on Twitter and I shared it from the two headed nerd account like the day that this was announced uh, the tweet was like hey wb i've got your big barter and mr miracle right here and it was a gif of gwendolyn christie and oscar isaac (laughs) at some award show standing next to each other that's great and she towers over him but like i swear to god it looks like she's two feet taller well isaac is a little dude you know right and i'm sure she's wearing high heels and whatever but like i and like i have not been able to stop thinking about those two people playing Big Barda and Mr. Miracle. <laughs> I think it was Mitch Gerads on Twitter. I can't remember for certain, and I'm sorry if I'm misappropriating his tweet, but he was talking about, you know, like fan casting this stuff and how angry he got with the conversation he was having. <laughs> He's like, he had to stop himself from taking off his shoes and throwing them and storming out of the room and screaming, Do you people even know who the new gods are? <laughs> <laughs> I, it's just, I don't know. This strikes me as one of those things that cannot translate to the screen the way that it is. And they would have to change it so much that Joe Patrick would not be happy. I'm not even talking about Matt Bomb. I get pissed at the dumbest shit in the world. Joe Patrick, who loves everything DC, would well, not be happy. Well, okay, but it, it's fair to say that right now I'm not really excited about anything DC cinematic related. Fair enough. Fair enough. And uh, like Wonder Woman was great. You did compliment the Justice I'm, League I'm by saying it wasn't as bad as I thought it would be. <laughs> Justice League, I, f- I found some things to enjoy in Justice League much better than Batman versus Superman. Better than Batman versus Superman, bar. still a stinker. I, I see the potential and the director choice is solid. Maybe. Give them enough rope to hang themselves. Maybe the director choice is solid. She's made one movie that 
didn't do so well. We'll see. Moving on to something we can both agree on. DC Comics are good right now. And the Terrifics Plastic Man is going to star in his own six-issue miniseries debuting in June from Birds of Prey team of Gail Simone and Adriana Mello. Okay, let me ask you. And we just have to talk about it. Does Gail Simone still have it? Well, we kind of talked about this uh, on the fan group not too long ago. I don't think she's got it anymore. I have not really enjoyed much of Gail Simone's modern work. No, I don't think she's got it anymore. I don't know what happened, but I'm with you. And I'm not saying it's like terrible, unreadable. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying she's not the Gail Simone that I used to love. Well, and I don't know if it's just if part of it is that the projects she's been working on haven't really interested me. Like the last big long form thing she did was Batgirl for the new 52. Yeah. And who knows? Which was which made me mad because that, I was mad about Barbara Gordon. That could have been tied up in a bunch of editorial stuff too, though. At the time, we don't know. I, so I yeah, I don't know. Like Gail Simone has been talking about doing a Plastic Man series literally for years. Yeah. Uh, she and Ethan Van Skyver were trying to get a Plastic Man book off the ground, like a like a Plastic Man that's like a legit detective. How those two can even be like on the same internet well was my this mind was long let, before, let alone in the same room <laughs> this, was, this was long before ethan uh, revealed his true colors on twitter right uh but yeah obviously that didn't go anywhere and i don't know i i love plastic man i i have hopes for it it's I, just a mini series so i want we'll it see. to be good yeah i want it to be good i just have to i have to ask that question Hawkman is also going to return from the pages of Dark Knight's Metal in a new ongoing series launching in June from writer Robert Venditti with artist Brian Hitch. I love this. I totally love this. One, I love Brian Hitch. He's He, for a while there, was really, really, really slow, but he's been producing stuff and looking really good in recent years. Robert Venditti did a story... Not, I'm not going to say a similar character, but Exo Manowar was a similar type story. We had a barbarian type character lost, who's lost in time and whatnot. And it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Brutal and wonderful. And I hope they let Venditti bring a little bit of that brutality to this Hawkman book. I'm totally down with this. I'm sold. I'm a little disappointed that it wasn't going to be Jeff Lemire because he wrote that Hawkman found one shot. He did. He's also writing like 15 books. Yeah, but I think that he really wanted it. <laughs> Maybe it was just a scheduling issue. Maybe. But I like Robert Venditti. He does great work on Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Mm -hmm. That's a really fun book. It's I a enjoy. great book. And yeah, I mean, Brian Hitch is is a good artist. I, I've kind of soured on him a little bit in, in more recent times. But if, if he can keep it up and stick to that high level of quality, I'm into it. I'm just glad to have Hawkman back, like for a for real Hawkman. When they launched the new 52 and they had the Savage Hawkman where he was covered in like armor bits and spiky yeah. metal, Man. I was not into that. No. At all. No. And then he had the weird gold outfit. And, like, and then Rob Liefeld took it over. I was like, what if they, like, they just really flushed Hawkman down the toilet. I think they just wanted to fuck up his wiki page even more. Have you read that? It is laugh out loud funny. Like <laughs> I if, have not read the wiki page. It is out of control. It just sounds like they have this character on the end of like a tetherball line and they're just spinning it around and occasionally bonking him into a wall and then spinning the other direction. <laughs> you know? DC also announced the second wave of DCU Hanna-Barbera crossover one-shots, including Aquaman Jabberjaw, the book we had to have, by Dan Abnett and Paul Pelletier, Black Lightning and Hong Kong Fooey by Brian Hill, 
and Denny Cohen. A 70s period piece. Sure. Why not? Awesome. Flash and Speed Buggy, which, I mean, come on. How have we not had that by now? By Scott Lovedell and Brett Booth. And the Super Sons Dynomutt crossover by Pete Tomasi and Fernando Passerain. Okay. I got to say, you got Dynomutt in a book and you're not putting crypto in there. Where is the crypto Dynomutt crossover? Super Sons. Well, come on. Crypto will probably be in there. Isn't crypto in Super Sons sometimes? Sometimes. But I want crypto and Ace meet Dynomutt, you know? Come on. Oh, sure. It just seems. But. Too too easy, yeah. It, but like the cover is super cool because it's Damien and and uh, what's his name, John, right? Looking up and Blue Falcon is like looming over them. It's super cool. <laughs> these uh, will, these the will speed be fun. buggy flash one shots going to be about Wally, which I'm always down for. And the the solicits are ridiculous. Like they're going to have uh, like speed speed buggy's going to get like tapped by the speed force or something and there's going to be a reverse speed buggy why not (laughs) (laughs) why the hell not uh like i I love these one shots i loved the last wave for the most part yeah they weren't all great but the ones that were great were amazing like i think the black lightning hong kong fui one is going to be amazing oh yeah and they're all going to have backup stories by jeff parker and scott collins um i I think a different backup in each one uh like one of them is going to be captain caveman Meeting the wizard Shazam like in 50 million BC or whatever. (laughs) I am definitely into that. Finally, in what is probably the biggest DC news of the week, Jim Chung is jumping ship from Marvel to DC for Scott Snyder's upcoming Justice League relaunch. This We think. It appears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know for certain. This is one of the hairy rumors we're talking about. This information comes from an advanced solicitation for the series' first collected edition published on the Penguin Random House retail site. Truly, no information is safe on the internet when it comes to nerds. (laughs) Yeah, really. The listing states that Chung is going to share our duties in some way with Jorge Jimenez. Whether that means he'll be doing interiors covers or something else is unclear. The listing also included preliminary artwork by Chung, revealing the new team lineup to be. Are you ready? Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Flash, Cyborg, Green Lantern, and Martian Manhunter, along with Hawkgirl. I like this lineup. But it's not... Hal Jordan, it's John Stewart. It is John Stewart, which I'm fine with. That's okay. So this is a very uh, Justice League cartoon reminiscent lineup. Absolutely. And I'm uh, fine with Except it. for Cyborg, who I'm frankly, look, I'm sorry. I love Cyborg. I hate him in the Justice League. Yeah, it's dumb. He doesn't belong. It's not that he's not worthy. No, it's he just, just doesn't he belong doesn't there. doesn't fit. No, it doesn't he fit at all. He needs to be with his friends. Yes. He needs to be running the Titans. Like remember yes. when we when we pitched that Titans book where Cyborg was now teaching the kids, you know? Oh, please, it, please. It was like Titans Academy and everybody was sponsored in. Like obviously Batman sponsored his son Damien and you know, John was sponsored by Superman. That would yeah. be amazing. That's where yes. he should be. And if you want to say yes, he's part of the Justice League. This is his job in the Justice League. I'm fine with that. And then he could show up every once in a while and be like, oh crap, cyborg, we need your help. The computer stuff. And he farts boom tube, fixes the computer, whatever, leaves. Fine. You're right. Like he he can be part of the Justice League in the same way that like the beast is an Avenger, right? Yes. He's not there every time. He's not going on field missions. Absolutely. Every time. But he isn't. He, he's got a, He's got his Avengers card. He's in. He'll show right. up when we need him. Yes. I, oh. I just I think Cyborg has an important role in the DC universe. But as a member of the Justice League, he is diminished. Yeah, I don't like it. And he looked terrible in the movie. Jim Chung. Has he ever done anything DC? 
Jim Chung actually had a brief stint at DC 20 plus years ago Man. when he had a run on Mark Wade's Flash. Oh, that's right. He he did a, a, a very few number of issues of Mark Wade's Flash. Um, and I've been a fan, you know, since the mid 90s. And then he moved to Marvel and, and did X-Force and it was he was off from there. Yeah. But yeah, I, Jim Chung moving back to DC is huge, especially considering a he just drew Marvel's big promotional image for Fresh Start. Yeah, and I think he's still under exclusive contract. I think it's up real quick here. That's the deal. I don't know. I think it's a huge get. Like DC. Oh no, is, it's massive. It's massive. It's DC is doing a really good job, like wooing these creators back to their ranks. Well, and I'm super proud of them, especially because we we've constantly bitched that Justice League needs to be the your first must read book every month like that's the one that should be at the top and they have to get fantastic artists to do this we knew scott snyder's coming we're both kind of pumped for that i think jim chung is shows like serious out of the box thinking rather than going to greg capullo or any of these other amazing artists that they have and saying you're on it it's your turn to do justice league they're doing something weird and getting a guy that you you would never think would be working on the Justice League. I love it. I can't right. wait to see his designs. And you know, you know, like artists like Greg Capullo. Greg Capullo is a great, a great artist. Yeah. But Jim Chung is, I think, at this point in his career, a legit superstar. Yeah, I think you can argue one of the most talented guys in comics in superhero comics today. I think and he's no the question. kind of name that sells comics. Yeah, he's also the kind of guy that there's no one out there that's going to go. Eh, I don't like Jim Chung. I don't like his art. There's people that don't like Jim Lee. There's people that don't like Greg Capullo. I dare you to find someone to say, I don't like Jim Chung's style. I don't think they're out there. Don't call in. We don't want to hear it. I want to hear it. Call in. (laughs) Finally, and perhaps most importantly, a movie adaptation of Marvel Comics' Night Watch is in development at Sony Pictures by none other than Spike Lee. Now, I know you're saying. Everybody went, who? Who? (laughs) <laughs> Not Spike Lee, but Nightwatch. Don't worry. We'll get to there. Okay. Yes. We'll get uh, there. Also involved is screenwriter and current Luke Cage showrunner Chio Hodari Coker. Sorry about all of that. Yep. This news comes courtesy of the hashtag show. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. But Nightwatch is a character that debuted in the early 90s in Web of Spider Man. He is visually a straight. Spawn knockoff. Oh, yeah. This is 100%. Mar- There's no question. This was Marvel saying, oh, yeah, Todd McFarlane. Well, we can ape yeah. that. <laughs> you want to like, go to Image? He, no problem. We got Spawn he's, Like here. He's even got like a living cape, but it's not like supernatural. It's controlled by nanotechnology. Of course. Because in the uh, 90s, he, everything was controlled by nanotechnology. <laughs> yeah, right. Because nobody knew what that really meant. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Like, Tell him it's nanotechnology. <laughs> he was uh, huge in the Maximum Carnage event. Oh, boy. So like he f- he flamed brightly very briefly in Go the 90s. Go ahead and say he burned brightly, not he flamed brightly. Yes, sorry. <laughs> uh, he he burned very brightly very briefly in the 90s, uh, and then he died. But he most recently came back. I forgot this actually. He came back during Charles Soule's run on She-Hulk, and I like totally forgot about it. I yeah, oh, man, I didn't know that. So this movie, if it's real and it gets made, it's going to be part of Sony's Spider-Man franchise, I guess. Because well, Spider-Man in quotes, because Spider-Man can't be there. 
Well, you're right. These are. I the, mean, it's for those of you who don't know. It's part of the franchise rights that right. came with Spider-Man. So, okay, this is going to be mind-bending, but stick with me for a minute. Sony penned a deal with Marvel to have Spider-Man in the Avengers movie. Part of that deal yeah. is Spider-Man can appear in his own film with characters from the Avengers and Sony, or in Marvel Studios films with characters from the Avengers only. That means Sony cannot have Spider-Man in the upcoming Venom film. Cannot have Spider-Man in the Silver and Black film, which is Silver, uh, pardon me, which is uh, Black Cat and Silver Sable. Yeah. So we have this side universe. Are you sure that that's true? Yes. They can't they use him? cannot. It's, it is not in their deal. That is why Spider-Man is not part of the Venom movie at all. That's why he has nothing well, sure. to do with Venom with Venom's origin or anything like that. So Sony is also selling, thinking about selling their film studio <laughs> to yeah, Disney. <right. laughs> like, in which yeah. case, all these characters would come back. Now, if you flash back to last week where we were talking about Fox beating up the dead horse that is the X films before they return the corpse to Disney, because Fox yeah, right. is also being bought by Disney, this strikes me as Sony going, yeah, we are going to knock the shit out of all these spider characters yeah, before we get this back. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like when you rent a car. It's and, like that episode of Seinfeld where he gets the car. He rents the car with the insurance. Yeah. And then he beats the hell out of it. Yeah, like you could essentially like drive through a bank lobby and rob the place with your rental car at that point. <laughs> You're like, oh, I got the insurance, you know? <laughs> I, it, it's baffling. First of all, I can't believe that anybody actually considered Nightwatch when making the deal for Spider-Man's film rights in the 90s. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Why were they even... Who cared about Nightwatch in 1998? No one. No one. And why is this not like a Prowler movie or something? I mean, this, what's upsetting oh, to me... Prowler movie would be great. Spike Lee is a super talented director. I And, and Chio Hodari Coker has made an amazing Luke Cage show. And these guys are going to give their talent to fucking Nightwatch when all this is is Sony going, oh, my God, the Black Panther made so much money. Greenlight every black superhero we have. All of them. Go. Who do we got? We have one. Who is it? Nightwatch. Who the hell is cardiac. that? I don't know. <laughs> Where's uh, my cardiac? Lady? Yeah, totally. Like uh, this. It just don't do this, guys. Don't do it. I'm not saying this for the love of Nightwatch. Don't do this. <laughs> I'm saying... No, yeah. Spike I, Lee, come on, man. Don't do... I realize you don't know a lot about comics, and they came to you with this pitch for this black superhero, and you went, like, that sounds cool, but Nightwatch is a goddamn joke. A product of the 90s. About, man? He interviewed Rob Liefeld for Levi's Buttonfly Jeans. Oh, boy. <laughs> he knows all about comic books. Yeah, he definitely does. Don't do this. That's all. This I, is just, it's saying. a, it's bizarre. It's bizarre. It's a really odd character choice. A part of me thinks that they're, they see Todd McFarlane's got this spawn movie coming. Maybe they want to rush this character out to compete with it. No, because I don't think anyone's going to care about the spawn movie at this point either. It's too late. Spawn has come and gone. These kids today, it, like I work with a guy who grew up and he was like, I used to love spawn as a kid. And his, girlfriend just started working at legend comics and she's very sweet and he was like hey bring me home some spawn stuff i'm gonna read spawn stuff again and she brought home some spawn stuff and he's like this is the worst shit in the world <laughs> it's like what was wrong with me <laughs> you know <laughs> and i'm not saying Nightwatch was any better but nobody cares 
and no one's going to care. And if Spider-Man's not there, I care even fucking less. You know, it, it just don't do it. This is as bad or worse idea than the new Gods movie. So there's your big news for the week. If you want to talk about these stories, everything else we missed, or just shoot us some of your Nightwatch cosplay, I know it is out there. Somebody dressed up as Nightwatch. And you know they got into it with somebody dressed up at Spawn as a Comic-Con. And if there's footage, <laughs> I would love to see it. <laughs> we had to separate these two Spawns. I'm Nightwatch, asshole! Yeah, whatever, okay. <laughs> <laughs> You can always hit us up, twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Drop us a line in the forums under the big news section. Or, you know, just give us a call, 402-819-4894, and talk to us live on our cover-to-cover segment, where you can tell us how wrong we are about everything we just told you. But right now, it's review time in the ziggurat, where I take a break from watching the NCAA March Madness tournament to hang out with a very needy Joe Patrick. While we dig deep into two of this week's comics, Joey, just curious, what sport are they playing in the March Madness tournament? Is it, um, squash? Yes. (laughs) Yes, it is. Why don't you, uh, why don't you go ahead and... Tell the kids what you reviewed this week. (laughs) This week, I'm talking about Betrothed, number one, from Aftershock Comics, written by Sean Lewis, with art by Steve Y. Why, Steve? (laughs) Or Yui? I don't know. It's spelled U-Y. It's spelled U-Y. We are not Asian enough to know how to pronounce anyone who wants to correct us. Please do. Steve Y. I'm going to say Y. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Kieran and Tamara are both seniors at the same high school. They've never paid much attention to each other, even though they're the only kids at school who are orphans. On the eve of their 18th birthdays, they discover a lifelong secret. I just feel like your tone is giving away that you don't like this. (laughs) Yeah. In a dimension far away, they are each the leader of an army that is at war with one another. And what's more, when they turn 18, they are to be betrothed. Or fight to the death. Welcome to the first issue of Betrothed, or as I like to call it, it's like Romeo and Juliet in space. Do you get it? Huh? huh? Do you get it? Oh, see, I wasn't picking up on that. All right. Ah, uh, yeah. Sean Lewis wrote a great little miniseries for Image last year called The Few. You should definitely check it out if you have a chance. It's awesome. But whatever goodwill he garnered from that series has been squandered on the tropiest set of tropes to ever trope across the comic page. Wow, that's a lot of troping. It's straight troping. Lewis leans into the Romeo and Juliet comparison hard, starting on page one. Lewis leans into the Romeo and Juliet comparison hard, starting on page one, and keeps punching that button for the next 20 pages. He follows that up with some pretty painful dialogue from characters that can't decide whether or not to use contractions, which drives me crazy, let me tell you, in dialogue, where characters switch between using contractions like can't or aisle and then go and then say, cannot, I cannot, I will not. (laughs) It's so awkward. Yeah, you need to choose. And also some very well-worn themes about science versus magic. Steve Wise artwork is not my cup of tea to put it mildly. His simple manga influenced style 
and distracting CG backgrounds make Betrothed look like a bad anime from the 80s. I would say 90s. 90s okay. is when they got into a lot of that digitally affected background. Oh, yeah, so, that's fair. Yeah. The costume designs for the two warring armies look like they were cribbed directly from Avatar The Last Airbender. I didn't think of that, but yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so like the more primitive tribe looks like Avatar and the advanced tribe looks like Legend of Korra, which is in the future. Right. There's a splash page featuring the two armies confronting each other that is painfully awkward to look at. Like when they're jumping out of that portal, their bodies are so contorted and yeah. positioned in weird ways. See, and I it's, almost think like maybe if you took that background out, they're okay. But the way know. they're it's in the, front of the, the background, bodies, maybe I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I found the entire issue to be totally visually unappealing. Betrothed number one is a completely unremarkable comic with nothing new to add to the genres it borrows from. I was no fan of the artist going in, but I did expect better from Sean Lewis. I hope he turns things around with his next project. Betrothed is a huge leave it. I'm going to be real honest. I read half of it and quit. So leave it for me too. <laughs> I was like, I just didn't want to waste time my time. Since I shit on a comic this bad. Yeah. I didn't want to waste my time. Honestly. Like I, but, I read half of it and I went, well, this isn't getting any better. <laughs> it just it, stopped. <laughs> the funny thing, like something funny happened online today where, uh, or not today, but this week where, after Shock retweeted a positive review, they were like, from a comic site, they're like, Betrothed, number one, four out of five stars. And I, this was after I read it, and I was like, oh, bullshit. And I clicked on the link, and not only was the review three stars, not four, <laughs> but also it is so wishy-washy, like, well, the art's not my cup of tea, but you might like it. And yeah. the script is sort of familiar, but hey, it's going somewhere maybe cool. Yeah. Like if you like read this on the, did it, it make me want to punch myself scale? Garbage. <laughs> no, I didn't feel like punching myself. So three stars. <laughs> yeah. It's like they just like mashed the retweet button without looking at that article. And I like, it really made me laugh. Uh, please, Matt, can we talk about something better? Absolutely, we can. I'm talking about Vampironica, number one from Archie, written by Greg and Megan Smallwood. They're an adorable couple with art by Greg Smallwood. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. When Veronica is bitten by a centuries-old vampire, her thirst for blood threatens to turn Riverdale into a haven for the undead. Will she put an end to the vampire threat or give in to her bloodlust? So if you haven't been paying attention, you might be shocked to hear that the Archieverse has carved out a corner for the darker side of Riverdale, featuring your favorite plucky teens as characters in what is essentially 1980s B-horror films. The result has been a ton of fun, and Vampironica is the latest entry into the Archie horror imprint. Husband and wife team Greg and Megan Smallwood are on writing duties, and I'm pretty sure this is the first I've seen of Greg as a writer. I don't think you, I've ever seen him write anything before. I don't know. It's a shame we can't look that up. I did look it up, and uh, I was right. He's, I okay. He's ever written anything before. <laughs> I first okay, great. Yeah, so there. I first encountered his work as the artist on the 2015 Dark Horse miniseries Dream Thief, a book Joe and I both loved. Greg's work on both Dream Thief and more recently on Moon Knight was stunningly realistic and amazing. His layouts were crazy. Like, you could see him trying to develop this very dreamy, dark, 
horror-themed kind of book. Here he softened his style a bit to fit with the Archie House style, and it works so well. Smallwood is almost aping Darwin Cook in some of these panels while maintaining the iconic cartoonish look of the Archie gang. I'm I'm making it sound like Greg Smallwood drew your average issue of Archie, but this story also features the violent death of Veronica Lodge's parents (laughs) and her transformation into a monstrous, bloodthirsting vampire. (laughs) Smallwood brings this palette to the book where he can easily go from everyday Riverdale cute Archie story to terrifying scene of Veronica Lodge flying through a windshield in a car accident. And it works so well here. The Smallwoods write a wonderful story in the spirit of the original Fright Night, you know, featuring your favorite Riverdale teens murdering each other. (laughs) This was an excellent addition into the Archie Horror imprint. I cannot believe they are getting away with this stuff. And I can't believe how well it works. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I can't snip. I, I can't say enough about Greg Smallwood as an artist. I like, yeah, I agree that he kind of leaned into a, a bit of the Archie style. Oh yeah. It's still very recognizable as his work, uh, especially where he does this soft shading with, with a, with a soft graphite or charcoal. And he's got big wide panel borders where the, where the panels don't have the black around them. Right. And they have the huge white gutters, which we first talked about during dream thief. Uh, his panel layouts are wonderful. Yeah. Like very cinematic. And I I just, I can't say enough about how beautiful this book is. And yeah, the writing was a total surprise. I didn't know what to expect from these guys as writers. They nailed it. It, This was hands down my favorite book of the week. It was so good. It's a buy it for me. It was just pitch perfect. They, they, it's so scary. Like I said, I, I know I'm repeating myself how easily this Archie shit lends itself to horror. (laughs) It's so great. Well, you know what? Once they once they knew that they could get away with taking Archie and putting him into unfamiliar situations, like with Afterlife, right, or getting killed by the Predator or whatever, it was what have all you. bets were off. Yeah, and now we've got stuff like Riverdale, and I am totally into it. I'm yeah. into all of it. I love it. So that is a double leave it for Betrothed number one, and a huge double buy it for Vampironica number one we will post our written reviews over at twoheadednerd.com so you guys can respond did we get it right am I being a total jerk to Steve Yui <laughs> are you unimpressed did you hate Vampironica do you have no soul are you in fact a vampire let us know over at the THN forums because Joe doesn't know a damn thing about college basketball I've taken it upon myself to set up a contest of champions bracket so we can play along in our own little March Madness tournament. But get this. He's got gold balls facing speed ball in his final. What a battle of the balls, baby! <laughs> so join us now as I bust the hell out of Joey's bracket where we review eight more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed Round! Ludicrous Speed! Go! New Mutants, Dead Souls, number one from Marvel. Writer Matthew Rosenberg and artist Adam Gorham resurrect the New Mutants as a team that investigates supernatural threats. Gorham's art is phenomenal, but Rosenberg's script just kind of throws you into the middle of the story with the bare minimum of of explanation of the characters' motives for being together. I just needed a little bit more to sell me on the reason this squad exists 
or at least show me the team getting together. Give me that. I'll probably keep reading, but for now, I'm giving New Mutants Dead Souls a skim it. It just... Yeah. It was a weird intro to this to this idea. I don't get it. Why do you call this New Mutants? I, I don't get it at all. It almost strikes me as like this was a different like spinoff or something idea that he no, had. Like I'm not hung up on the name. I don't really care about the name. The well, name why are they the has, New Mutants, though? Why? The name just has recognition value. Why are they a team? Why are they New Mutants? I didn't need it. Eternity Girl, number one, from DC slash Young Animal. The newest entry into the Young Animal imprint examines depression through the eyes of an immortal, shape-shifting hero that wants nothing more than death. Writer Mags Visaggio tells a compelling story about depression and heroism with wonderful art by Sunny Lou. As it turns out, Eternity Girl has been offered a way to die. All she has to do is destroy reality as we know it. Count me in. I really like this. I'm giving it a buy it. Love Sunny Lou. Encounter, number one, from Lion Forge Cubhouse. Is that a, like a kitty thing? Yeah, get it? Oh, name. oh, Lion Forge and Cubhouse. For the kids. Yeah. Art Baltazar and Franco team up with G-Man creator Chris Giarusso for a fun all-ages story about a shape-shifting polka-dotted alien that lands on Earth and is inspired to become a superhero because he just happened to land right in front of a comic shop. Fair enough. These guys are the kings of all-ages comics that offer a lot for adults to enjoy too. Encounter is no exception. It's super charming, great for kids, and I laughed. It's a buy it. I thought Al Balthazar and Franco, same person. I just figured it was two different names, like a pseudonym or something. I don't know. Like Art Franco Balthazar? <laughs> yeah, they are no. very similar in their style. They, they are different dudes. Their humor is the same. Their art is the same. It's great. <laughs> They're partners. Uh, yeah. They, they I, work I together. Come into me, number one from Black Mask, which sounds filthy. Yeah, it sounds really dirty, right? Body horror has been all the rage lately, and Come Into Me delivers with... <laughs> Sorry. Don't do that. <laughs> delivers with the odd but terrifying art of Peter Kowalski, who was just wonderful on Joe Casey's sex for Image Comics. If you didn't read it, you should. Here, we meet a researcher that's figured out a way to join two human consciousness in one body. And while he may have the best of intentions, he's about to meet someone desperate enough to challenge his ideals. Creepy sci-fi storytelling by Zach Thompson and Lonnie Nadler with wonderful art and brilliant colors by Nico Guardia. I'm giving this a buy it. It was genuinely creepy and really well written. Ghostbusters crossing over number one from IDW. Longtime Ghostbusters creators Eric Burnham and Dan Schoenig add to the rich history they've built for this franchise with a story that will bring together every version of the Ghostbusters ever. Yes, even the extreme Ghostbusters from the 90s. Oh, boy. It's a little dense. It continues directly from previous volumes, but Burnham's characterizations ring true in Schoenig's depiction of the manic Jillian Holtzman who uh, is the Kate McKinnon character from the Ghostbusters reboot. Oh, yeah. The one that ruined everyone's it's, childhood. Oh, no. It's she, it's hilarious. <laughs> These guys are doing great work building on the legacy of the Ghostbusters, but Crossing Over may be a bit more accessible to existing readers, so I'm giving it a strong skim it. Infidel, number one from Image. The solicitor for this comic called it a horror story for the 21st century, starring an American Muslim woman living with her husband, stepdaughter, and mother-in-law in a building haunted by something that feeds off xenophobia. This could have easily come off as a heavy-handed liberal PSA, but writer Pornsack Pitchichots 
Dialogue. Vintage shout. <laughs> Dialogue and timing make it a legitimately scary and great first issue. Artist Aaron Campbell provides some truly terrifying imagery with amazing coloring effects by Jose Villaruba. I was not sure what to expect here, but stumbled into a wonderful haunted house story that touches on modern misconceptions of Muslims in American society. I'm giving it a massive buy it. Now, I don't know if there's something meta going on here or not, but the main character is also working editing Star Wars comics. <laughs> so oh, weird. Yeah, I don't know uh, exactly. This was great. Buy it. Dry County, number one from Image. Writer artist Rich Tommaso takes a break from Spy Seal for this noirish crime story featuring loser everyman Lou Rossi. I unacceptable, I won't read it. I want my Spy Seal. <laughs> I love Tommaso's Tin Ten esque style, and his books are beautifully designed. He's on a roll, and Dry County is another great addition to his resume. It's really fun about this schlubby cartoonist that meets this girl who's caught up in this relationship drama, and of course there's going to be murder and intrigue. It's not exactly unexpected, right? It's very familiar, noirish type stuff, but he does it really well. It's a buy it from me. You do love Neuer. I do love my Neuer. <laughs> Subspecies, number one from Danger Zone. Full Moon Pictures, the same folks who brought us the Puppet Master movies of the late 80s and 90s, also had a lesser known vampire flick called subspecies. The story of a vampire named Radu returning to his Eastern European home of Prejnar. <laughs> Apparently, I wasn't the only one who loved the subspecies franchise because writer Colin Bunn demanded to take the helm of Danger Zone's latest full moon adaptation. The good news? It's way better than their garbage Puppet Master comic, but still, probably only for the hardcore fans of full moon horror films. I'm giving it a skim it, but I did kind of love it. By the way, if you go to IMDb, they list the following keywords for the subspecies movie. And I had to read these off because they're wonderful. These are terms that are searched to find these movies, right? That are attached to them. Vampire. Loneliness. Female <laughs> rear nudity. Topless female nudity. And falling in love. <laughs> Nothing says falling in love like female rear nudity. Like Radu the vampire and some good old female rear nudity. <laughs> wow. Chapow! That is your ludicrous speed round. Chapow! It's the sound of the thing spending some quality clobbering time with some kind of shape shifter guy, maybe. I don't know. I haven't read it yet. As seen in the pages of Marvel 2 in 1, number four, this onomatopoeia was submitted by Tom Barnett via Twitter. If you want to be cool like Tom, you could submit an onomatopoeia of the week. Just hit us up on any of our social media, or you can shoot us an email to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Before we move along, ladies and gentlemen, it is my pleasure to present to you Wooly Toots and a word from our sponsor. Hey guys, it is uh, Wooly Toots, and I am here. I'm really excited to introduce a new sponsor here. Uh, this broadcast is brought to you by Midwinter. It's a cyberpunk fantasy graphic novel series from Revision Studios. These guys are local cats, and they've got a Kickstarter going on right now. It's an ongoing series, but uh, issue seven is what they're working on right now. It's really cool, man. Uh, it's got all this magic and technology and an advanced setting. It kind of has a cool manga feel look to the artwork. To get in on the campaign, you can either go to kickstarter.com, search for Midwinter 7, or you can go to the support page on midwintercomic.com, click that Kickstarter banner there, support these guys. They're doing the work of angels. 
right? Everybody wants to put out their own comics. Support these guys. Let them do it. Enjoy the book. And, it, hey, you'll get in on all the back issues, too. You jump in on this. So you're like, oh, issue seven. Why am I jumping in on issue seven? Shut up. You'll get it all. All right, guys. Go check it out. See ya. Matt, it's St. Patty's Day, and it only seemed right to invite our good friends Warwick Davis and Jennifer Aniston, stars of the first Leprechaun film, into the Sanctum Sanctorum for a pint and some discussion of next week's comics. What are you pumped to read next week? Before we go into that, people need to respect the Leprechaun movies more, because without them, we don't have Jennifer Aniston, okay? It's where she got her start. And that woman, she is a treasure. My Without pick- them, we don't have Leprechaun in space. That's true, or Leprechaun in the Hood, for that matter. My pick for next week is Mighty Thor, number 705, written by Jason Aaron, with art by Russell Dodderman. It's 32 pages. It's $3.99. Here is your solicit. <laughs> Me, 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 me. The death of the mighty Thor part six. The epic showdown years in the making finally explodes across the heavens. Thor battles the unstoppable Mangog with the fate of all of Asgardia hanging in the balance. Is Thor willing to pay the ultimate price in order to save the gods? Spoiler alert. Yeah. The tragic and heroic story of Jane Foster finally reaches its heart rending zenith. You knew it was coming. The death of Thor is here at last. This is the end of Jane's run with a hammer, and it has been so good. Oh, my God. I have to say, I'm kind of shocked they're actually going through with it. Jason Aaron said from the beginning, yep, that's what I'm doing. Watch me. This is what I'm doing. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm not twisting it. Here it is, and it's coming. And I really liked how he did it. Like, you knew that there was conclusion to this story, and it is full-on coming. They're not going to jerk you around. This isn't Batman R.I.P. where Batman doesn't die in the end, you know? Joe Patrick, what is your pick for next week? Next week, I am, you know what, let's be real. Not to shortchange any of the books we picked, but it's another light week next week. Yeah, it is kind of a light week. But I found something that looked pretty intriguing. It's Lucy Dreaming, number one, from Boom Studios, written by Max Bemis. Your everyone's favorite say-anything frontman. With art by Michael Dialanis. Sure. Who drew The Woods. Dianalis? Yeah, I really like him. Dialanus, Dialanus. It's 32 pages for $3.99, probably. Hold on. I don't know for sure because the Diamond website went down when we were writing this last night. I'll tell you right now. Got it called up. Lucy Dreaming is 32 pages for $3.99. Bang. Nailed it. Here's your solicit. Lucy is a grumpy, emotive, full-of-life 13-year-old girl who keeps waking up in the shoes of various archetypal female heroes. One night she'll wake up as a space princess turned rebel leader. Another night she'll be a reluctant heroine who becomes the symbolic motivation for an entire country to revolt. Just like me. Just like Matt. Yeah. But as fantastic as these dreams are, they carry the same life and death stakes as if Lucy was awake in real life. What? Yikes. It's like when you die in the Matrix, you die for real. Oh, shit. The reason why all this is happening <laughs> to her, though, the is Matrix a secret. For me. <laughs> the reason why all this is happening to her, though, is a secret for now. I like Max B. Like, I don't know anything about his crappy band, but I think he writes great comics. He's He was doing Moon Knight recently, and it was awesome. And uh, yeah, I think this sounds like Great fun. Say anything is a crappy band. And if you like them, you're wrong. But, you know, whatever. I kind of figured it was. Next week's THN Trade of the Week goes to Justice League Task Force, Volume 1. You know Joe Patrick picked this one. 
Trade paperback, Purification Plague from DC Comics, written by David Michelini with art by Sal Valuto. Is Sal Valuto still alive? I think so. Okay. I just, we haven't heard from that guy in 20-odd years. It's um, The last time I saw Sal Valuto on a regular basis, he was drawing Christopher Priest's Black Panther, which was a long time ago. Yeah. It is 296 pages for twenty nine ninety nine. What a deal. That is a crazy deal. Here's your solicit. It's the Justice League as you've never seen them before, with a lineup that includes Wonder Woman, The Flash, Black Canary, Blue Beetle, Captain Atom, and more. Led by the Martian Manhunter, the strike team of fellow Justice League members are on a very special mission when Raphael Sierra and a group of rebels are planning to assassinate Sanobel, President Enrique... Oh, Sanibel President Enrique Ramos. Sanibel's the place, I see. Right. Will they Remember, be- DC has made up countries. Right. Will they be able to work together and stop the rebels in time? Spoiler alert, yes. This collects Justice League Task Force 1 through 12. You okay, want to so go ahead and gush about this because I never read it. <laughs> let's be real. Justice League Task Force is a weird artifact from the 90s uh, back when like they were spinning off their popular books as much as they could. Yeah, there was like 13 Justice League books on the stands at this time. And like this is the same era that brought us Extreme Justice. Uh, yeah, I mean, it was a dark time, but Justice League Task Force had a lot going for it. it, it the concept was that it kind of had a rotating team um, that fit the mission. At least that's how it started. Uh, sort of like secret defenders. Right. Whereas like, who's the best suited for the job? Let's pick them. Right. Uh, so like, w- like one, one mission, like Nightwing was on the team. And then later on, Christopher Priest takes over the book and it becomes great. So this is volume one of that series. It's not a bad read uh, from an era where most of the Justice League comics were awful. Yeah. This was a bad time for Justice and, League books. Uh, Sal Valuto is a great artist. David Michelini had a huge long run on Amazing Spider-Man. He co- co-created Venom and Carnage and all the characters that are super popular today. It's a fun book. Fair enough. Thanks to Warwick for putting up with our barrage of Leprechaun quotes. And wow, Matt, I don't think anyone should know as much about Leprechaun in the hood as you do. Hey, I'm a massive Ice-T fan. Deal with it. All right. Be sure to let us know what you nerds are reading next week. And remember, death to he who sets a leprechaun free. <laughs> Steal his gold. He will corrupt your soul, you see. <laughs> we're so desperate to make that rhyme. What do we just throw you see in the end? <laughs> yeah, that works. Totally works. Who the hell are you? Earlier, you heard us talking about Nightwatch, Marvel's attempt to combat Todd McFarlane's spawn back in the early 1990s. But who is this Nightwatch? For more on Marvel's Spawn ripoff, ladies and gentle nerds, I give you the official THN historian, Mr. Jason Sachs, hosting a little segment we like to call, Who the Hell is This Guy? Take it away, sexier. Hi, I'm Jason Sachs, author of the American Comic Book Chronicles of the 1990s, and welcome to the latest installment of Who is This Guy? This week, I'll talk about the Hero One 1994 fan said, shows the same outstanding potential as Darkhawk. News came out this week that Spike Lee was in talks about directing a movie version of Marvel's hero, Nightwatch. It was greeted with the most head-scratching among fans and non-fans alike since Disney released Marvel adaptation Big Hero 6. But, as it turns out, this is a pretty logical character for Lee to take on. Let me explain why. Readers first meet Dr. Kevin Trench, the man who would become Nightwatch, several issues before the Maximum Carnage storyline kicked off. 
in Web of Spider-Man number 97 by Terry Cavanaugh and Alex Sabwick. It seems a badass trench, a muscle-bound black man with a ponytail, has self-exiled to a small island in order to escape a curse he sure will be visited upon him. When another villain is washed up on the island, a villain too dull and nondescript to describe here, Trent is forced to return to New York. In web number 100, he helps Spider-Man save himself from a massive villain attack. In the few short scenes in which he appears, Nightwatch is portrayed like a dark, avenging hero of the night, eyes glowing with mystic force while he wipes out a set of criminals, and with great acrobatic skills and a cape that seems to have a life of its own. What the hell are you? Spawn. This sounds a little like Spawn, the resemblance was obviously intentional, but this being 90s Marvel, the company had no clue what to do with this concept. Aside from the swirling cape and the fact he was an African-American lead, his stories had little in common with Spawn. Nightwatch seems an uneasy mix of 1993-era Marvel superheroes and Todd McFarlane-style mystery. After a series of appearances in Maximum Carnage, helping to save New York from an unstoppable set of Carnage clones, he was spun out into his own series. But by the time his 1994 solo series comes around, Nightwatch has fallen firmly into classic, boring, mediocre Marvel hero territory. Albeit territory that's a tiny edge if you look hard enough for it. See, Trench was actually a fairly interesting character to start with. Once he wasn't a badass mercenary type, instead, Kevin was a genius scientist who graduated with top honors at Empire State University and who was just falling in love with his class valedictorian, Ashley Croy. There was nothing special about Trent beside his badass brains before a fateful kid trip to JFK Airport to see his girlfriend off on a trip. After they kiss goodbye, Casablanca style, strange beings from 10 years in the future pop out of a time warp for a senseless battle. One of those is Nightwatch, who is killed in the battle. As the fight ends, Trent unmasks the hero and discovers the mystery man is actually an older version of him. Hence, the mystery of Nightwatch. Just what the hell happened in that future? How could Trench change it? Terrified of his future, Kevin disappears to the island and is presumed dead. The 12 issues of Nightwatch's solo series are a whirlwind of dumb ideas and bad 90s comic stuff. Ryder Kavanaugh brings in nanobots and secret private space satellites and children from the future and incredibly huge Rob Blyfield-style guns all kinds of weird craziness that seems intent to push the reader away. In fact, it seemed no one at Marvel really cared about the character much. In 1996's Spider-Man Unlimited number 14, Nightwatch is slain in an almost casual way by villains Black Bull and El Toro Negro. As mediocre as his origin was the mediocrity of Nightwatch's death. Both Spawn had one final set of appearances in She-Hulk number 6, 2014 by Charles Soule and Ron Wimberley, Trench stops by Shulky's law office in Brooklyn. Smartly dressed and 20 years older than he was in his original here series, Trench explains he's too busy for, with his medical and charity work to take on much heroing. His visit coincides with Shulky's investigation to the strange blue folder, which caused people to freak out and kill each other. Kevin doesn't seem to have much to do with the blue folder, even has a moment of heroic action side by side with She-Hulk and Hellcat. Until that is She-Hulk number 12, where Soul reveals Trench secretly was a villain called Night Eater. Because he wanted to be seen as a hero for financial reasons? 
friends create the shocker of Vibro when Dr. Druid to change the past and retcon him as a hero. In the end, the Spawn lookalike was brought to justice and he quickly drifted back to the quarter bins. Sadly, Nightwatch is a hero with no real legacy. He was killed off in the most perfunctory manner possible in the web annual, and that ending seems to fit him. But as Alan Moore famously said, there are no bad characters, and Kevin Trent seems a perfect character for a Spike Lee film. As it turns out, in 1994, the team did some fantasy casting of a Nightwatch film. Who would you cast as Kevin Trench on the big screen? The letters page writer asked. Danny Glover? Avery Brooks? Wesley Snipes? So, listener, who would you cast as this guy? I'm too old for this shit. Excelsior! And that is it for THN 4. 180. But before we get out of here, Joe Patrick, tell these nerds about the new question of the week. This week's question comes from good old Willie Toots himself. Short and sweet. If you were a garbage pail kid, what would your name be? And what is your gross feature? I love garbage pail kids. I follow them on Twitter. Actually, they have a pretty good Twitter presence. Do they really? Yeah, they really do. I'll have to check that out. THN is a listener-supported podcast. Oh, snap. Real quick, stop. What? Uh, just a quick note about the question of the week, guys. Uh, I really could use your suggestions. Uh, send them to us via the forums or email or the THN fan page, wherever. But submissions for question of the week. I need them. Yeah. You've got them. You've got Hit questions. Me. Hit us. THN is a listener-supported podcast, and we want to thank everyone that shells out their hard-earned cash they could be spending at their local comic book shop by supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. Without you nerds, we can't afford these beautiful uncut sheets of Garbage Pail Kids series one through seven I have framed and hanging on the walls. Let's just say K-Bomb does not love them. Uh, and they set the THN coffers back quite a bit. The Master <laughs> of Coin was not too happy. They are not cheap because they're amazing, okay? <laughs> Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to loyal listeners, JD Gotta Catch Em All, and Tim Benson, who both celebrated birthdays this past week. Oh, happy birthday, you old nerds. Huh? JD Ketchum actually called us for cover to cover last week on his birthday, but yes. hey. He still gets a shout out. Sure, sure. Word to you, nerds, and happy birthday to all you guys out there. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre order your comics, or your retailer might just make you a villain in a horror movie that ends up in the hood. This is the Two Headed Nerd. Wishing you a happy St. Patty's Day. Let's play it safe. Let's play it cool. If you're driving, don't drink. And if you're drinking, don't drive. This is the Two Headed Nerd, signing off.